0: Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
1: Lord, you just uh, bridge what you've given to, to, for us to hear.
0: to see some familiar visitors and some visitors that i've just learned this morning and we're glad that the case family is present and well represented if you wonder why the church is leaning just a little this morning it's because the case is all set on this side of the house and and y'all you're just gonna have to do better over here hearns y'all gonna have to pack a pew or something um but anyway in just a moment the um the cases will be bringing their beautiful voices to lift up to the lord in praise and um and we're glad to have them here this morning. As we continue to worship choir, will you stand and join me as we sing
2: ancient words? As
1: right brother jason well he's my nephew okay he uh we had a reunion yesterday and brother jason said would you mind singing he touched me and uh, i said i'll do it um where i go to church at my twin brother and i we uh we lead the song service he does more than i do but we appreciate everything you've done for uh jason Liat, and the family we love i used to hold jason when he was small of course i can't hold him no more but uh <clears throat> but jason um I appreciate you asking me, and uh, this is just for you, okay? Shackled by a heavy burden, the Lord guilt and shame, then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same, he touched me, oh, he touched me. joys that floods my soul, something happened, and now I know He touched me and made me whole. Well, since I met this blessed Savior, and since he cleansed and made me whole, I will never cease to praise him. How it while he turned, he touched me. Whoa, oh, he touched me. That my soul. Something happened. And now I know. He touched me. And made me whole. Everybody sing the chorus with me, okay? He touched me. Whoa, oh, he touched me. joys that bless my soul. Something happened, and now.
3: Um, as he can tell you. (laughs) Jason should have been my blood nephew because he acts just like me. Um, But I appreciate the honor and opportunity to sing anytime that I can sing for the Lord. um, I've always said I don't want to just be entertainment and I always try to pray about what the Lord would have me to sing that somebody might need that day. And it's crazy because when he hit me up yesterday and I was trying to figure out what to sing because I usually sing with CDs, but I didn't bring any, but I will from now on, Um, but this song was on my mind, and it happened to be a song that she had the words to, and she was all excited about it, and I was like, okay, Lord, that's the song I need to sing, so I drafted me some help here, but thank y'all for having us today. We really kind of feel like this is our home away from home when we come up here. We love worshiping with you guys, and y'all have a wonderful church here, and I might be prejudiced, but you have a wonderful pastor. So, but y'all just pray for us as we sing.
4: I feel the time.
0: clapped, I'll pay you later when they said something about the pastor. (laughs) He touched me, Alvin. Thank you. Someday I'll tell you why it means so much to me. Don't think I can do it now, though, so we'll move on. And sheltered in the arms of God. God has a way of weaving things together. And as I studied this week, God directed me to a passage in the Old Testament and the, and the theme of this morning's message is God is still God in the persecution. God is still God in the persecution. And if there's ever been a more fitting song written to go with that theme that God is God in the persecution, it would be sheltered in the arms of God. Now, I didn't tell her what to sing. For those of you that don't know uh, where I come from here, but that's where I come from as well. Uh, South Pittsburgh is my other home. I've I spent so much time there growing up. And what was normal in South Pittsburgh was for you just to decide. Actually, my uncle Ronald uh, has a bad habit of, of like being right here preaching and saying, Lori, would you come sing a song? And telling her what she's going to sing when she gets there, having no preparation and no idea. So when I asked him to sing yesterday, other than that one song Alvin being special to me, I didn't have anything to ask him to do. So we didn't plan that. But when you started singing it, I thought, man, sheltered in the arms of God, how fitting to this message that that is. And and thank you, Miss Linda, um, such a tremendous uh, gift that we have on the piano. uh, That yesterday I said, don't worry about your CDs, just pick a song, she can play it. Uh, Thank you, Brother Jason, as always, choir, for leading us through worship and song. And church, I want to thank you, uh, because it was a true pleasure for me this weekend during our family reunion uh, to be able to show this church off to all of my family, to be able to say, look at this sanctuary, to tell the story of the beloved chandelier Uh, to to show my family that had been here before our newly remodeled education wing that has kind of become just what it is to us, but it's special. It's been transformed. The Lord has blessed us tremendously, and everyone uh, was so complimentary of, of this church and so thankful for the opportunity to use it. And I'll just tell you this. There is no place that I'd rather be than the pastor of Rocky Valley Baptist Church. And so thank you for that opportunity. Uh, to be your pastor at this time, but I want to ask you this morning, you can start timing me now, by the way. It won't matter. I'll quit when I quit. But I want to ask you this question as we start, and I want to echo a question that my brother James asks in James chapter 5 verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? James Wright in, in, in James 5:13 says, "Is anyone among you suffering?" Anyone among you suffering? And that word that he uses for suffering, it's a very specific word. It it means angst beyond description. Is anyone among you in in a place of angst beyond description? Maybe I join with my brother Peter as he writes, Is anyone among you suffering for righteousness' sake? Is anyone among you suffering for the sake of God? Or, or maybe we back up into the Old Testament and, and we echo with the prophet Jeremiah and we ask this question that he asked as he faced an eternal trouble, a trouble that, that just seemed to never go away for the nation of Israel. And he asked this question, he said, is there a balm in Gilead? And what Jeremiah was saying is, is, is there any healing ointment for this, for this thing? that we endure for this separation that we endure. And so I come to you and ask these questions and I want to set the stage and the tone and the tenor for this morning by asking you this. Is anybody in here shackled by a heavy load? Are you coming in here weak and heavy laden? Are you coming in here with a season where there's something on your mind, something on your heart that that has you pressed beyond belief? You're just kind of crushed under the weight of what's going on because I've got news for you, church. For the life of a believer, we find ourselves in, in only a few seasons. We are either in the storm, we're coming out of the storm, or we're heading into the storm. And that's, that's just what it is for a believer. You say, well, that's not a very rosy picture that you paint, Brother Jason. I don't know. It's pretty rosy. Because even if I'm heading into the storm, I know that Jesus carries me. And even if I'm in the storm, I know that Jesus strengthens me. And even if I'm coming out of the storm, I know that Jesus carried me through. And that's a pretty good place to be for a believer is to be able to stand and shout with proclamation that my God Is still God even in the persecution? Would you please stand, if you're able, in the house in honor and reverence of the reading of the holy words of our holy God from Exodus chapter 1 and beginning in verse 8. And now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come and let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply... And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. Let us pray. God, our Father, we come to you and we thank you for the worship through songs. God, we thank you that there have been such beautiful words penned by people under your divine inspiration that simply singing them can be worship for us. God, we thank you for the opportunity now to worship you through the reading and teaching of your word. God, we pray if there be any devil or any demon in this place that might hinder our worship of you, that you would escort it out the front door even now we command that in your name. And God, we know that the demons must flee in your presence. God, we thank you for what you're about to do in this house this morning. And we love you and we will give you the praise and we will give you the honor and we will give you the glory and take no credit of our own. For it's in your holy saving name that we pray, Jesus, as all of God's children said. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Now, this morning, as we dive into this Old Testament uh, section of Scripture, we deal with this text and it's found in the book of Exodus. That's the second book of the Bible for all you Bible scholars from Jackson County. It's commonly known as the Pentateuch. That directly translates. That word Pentateuch is a fancy way of saying five books. That's simply what it means. It's, it's the five books. And, and, and that's important that we get that because it's, it's the five books that were penned by Brother Moses. And as he penned those books, we need to realize that they were really meant to go in unison together. So, so while we have them broken down into five separate books, when Brother Moses wrote it, it almost reads more like a book series would in today's time, So or like a, a kind of a continuation of thoughts that go on. And I say that because I don't want us to pick up up in Exodus chapter 1 and forget what happened in the book of Genesis. Because Exodus is not written uh, uh, as its own book separate from Genesis. It's written as the next thought from Genesis, so to speak. And so it's going to be important that we realize it this morning that, that the events in Exodus follow the events in Genesis chronologically. And the first point that we're going to look at this morning is that God's people will always threaten the world. God's people will always threaten The world. Verse 8, we see there's a new king in town. The text says that this new king, this new Pharaoh, he did not... The Holy Ghost has found my wife, folks. It's come in the form of a bug. Well, did it sting you? Praise God. I thought Jesus had come... Those of you listening on Facebook land, you don't know what just happened, but Jesus infiltrated my wife and she smacked a watch straight out of the sky. All right, let's back up. God's people will always threaten the world. Boy, that wasn't even the good point. She got saved right there. The scripture says he, he didn't know Joseph. He did not know. Joseph. That this doesn't mean that he didn't know who Joseph was, that he'd never heard of Joseph, that if he said the name Joseph it'd be foreign to him. What that word no literally means is that he didn't have favor upon Joseph. He didn't look to the people of Joseph and the life of Joseph and remember it well and fondly and look upon him with the same favor that the kings before him had looked upon Joseph. So, so so remember what I said, we're going to build on what happened in Genesis. So what what is the story of Joseph that would cause the people of Israel to have been looked upon kindly in the land of Egypt before that? Now remember, Joseph was a beloved son of Jacob. He was so beloved by Jacob that he got a special coat and his brothers began to be jealous of Jacob's love of Joseph. Joseph began to have dreams about rising into prominence. And his biggest mistake in his family was to tell his family that I'm having these dreams. And his brothers got even more jealous of him at that time. And you'll remember what happened to Brother Joseph. His own brothers sold him into slavery in the land of Egypt. They sold him to the the slave traders. They told his daddy that he was dead. And Joseph goes. He's being traded into Egypt. He spends time in the Potiphar's house. He goes through a series of events that we're going to talk about uh, for a long time. But through this series of events... And his faithfulness to God, he became a prominent leader in Egypt. In fact, he was prominent and he was looked upon with favor because there was a famine coming. And he interpreted a dream about it. And he said, there's famine coming, we should store our grain in the storehouses because there's going to be a great famine in the land and we need to save up food while we're in a time of plenty. And so he did. And when the famine hit, while everybody else was starving to death, the Egyptians had plenty. Because they had listened to what Joseph had done. Now, if you were the king in a land and your land had been saved and became wealthy and, 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 and been greater than all the rest of the lands because you had food, because of what this man had done, you would look upon this man with great favor. So much favor, in fact, that, that when the, the preparation hit, eventually his father and his brothers made their way to the land of Egypt. And it says that Jacob, his father, when he entered into the land of Egypt, entered with 70 folk. He entered with about 70 folk. That was the nation of Israel. At that time was about 70. So there's a great leadership though in Egypt. It's transitioned over a period of time. And it says he no longer looks at Joseph and the children of Israel with the favor that he once had because of what they had done in the famine. Like everything else, right? Once the famine's gone and out of your mind, you forget what God did for you in the famine, don't you? And that's where the children of Egypt find themselves right now. The Pharaoh looks and he says, I don't look upon them with favor anymore. We haven't had a famine in many years. I don't think of them the same way that the people before me thought of them. In fact, if you look at it, when the Pharaoh looked at the children of Israel, he was threatened by them. He said, look how many of them there are. There were only 70 when they got here. But now there are thousands upon thousands of these children of Israel being blessed by God and reproducing. And here they are rising in power and prominence. And in verse 7 he says, they're more mighty than we are. Now, here's the thing. From a military standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, the the king was right. As he assessed the situation in his kingdom, the people of God were greatly blessed and they were very numerous. But he was threatened by the children of God. Now, folks, we see this in our lives today, don't we? That the world, those who are outside of the will of God, those who don't know God, are very threatened by the children of God. When the people of God are obedient to God, it causes the world to shiver and shake and be threatened. But this is not new. You remember back to Joseph, right? We talked about him earlier. What happened when he got into Potiphar's house? He was advanced upon by Potiphar's wife trying to seduce him into sleeping with her, and he wouldn't. He honored God, and he, for that matter, even honored Potiphar, and he said, I am not going to dishonor my God. I'm not going to do that. And she accused him of rape, and he was thrown into prison because she was threatened By him being obedient to God. What about Abel? Right? You remember the story of Abel. Abel simply did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And what happened to Cain? He became insanely threatened by what Abel had done and bashed his head with a rock. I would say he was pretty threatened in order to bash his own brother's head with a rock. This is not a new thing for the people of God to to threaten the world when we honor God. The Pharisees wanted to have Jesus killed not because he was bad... You never see the Pharisees say that Jesus did a bad thing. They say that Jesus messed their system up, right? They had a system in place and it fit well with what they wanted. They had everybody under their thumb. They could decide who was doing the right thing and who was doing the wrong thing. And Jesus came along and he messed everything up by saying, You're not right. You've got a system of legalism. I've got a system of grace. You're not right. you got a system of rules. And I've got a system that says all those who come unto me will be saved. You want to make people do what you want them to do because it fits your power scheme. And that's where we're at with the world today. Anytime the children of God honor God and are obedient to God and stand for God, the world will see it as a threat. And I have never in my life understood this. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. There's no part of me that will understand why in the world my believing in God causes somebody that doesn't to be so mad at me. If you really don't believe in God, why do you care if I do? Folks, I don't believe in trolls. But if you do, I don't care. The fact that you believe in them just makes me think you'll be more careful walking under bridges than I will. <laughs> All right, it don't bother me one. I ain't going to get mad at you for believing in them. I might pray for you a little extra. I don't know why in the world they're so threatened by the fact that I believe in God. Oh, wait a minute. I do too. I know why. It's because in my copy of God's Word it says we were all created to glorify Him and that creation has fallen short of that glory. And even those who say that they don't believe in God were still made to glorify God and they're falling short of doing what they were made to do. And if you fall short of doing what you were made to do, you deteriorate and you move further and you move further away and your life ends up in shambles and you're upset. You're threatened. You're threatened because you were created to glorify God on this earth. Not only will the people of God threaten the world, but God's people will always be persecuted by the world. God's people will always be persecuted by the world. Look at verse 10 with me. Look at verse 10 with me. The Pharaoh, he's noticed that they're growing in in, in might, and he says, let us deal shrewdly with them. Because what's going to happen is we're going to go to war with somebody, and the children of Israel are going to side with them. And when they do, boy, we're done. There's too many of them. If we just keep letting them run wild and show favor to them and they keep growing, then what's going to happen? We're going to go to war with somebody they don't want us to go to war with. They're going to fight with them. We're going to lose it all. So I know what I'll do. I'm going to afflict them with a burden. There's that word affliction. Again, it's the same word that Brother James used for suffering in the Greek. Is the same word used in the Hebrew right here. I'm going to put them under an angst so great. I'm going to put them under a burden that is so strong that they're not going to want to reproduce anymore. I'll weaken them with a load so heavy that the last thing the men and boys are going to want to do when they get home is reproduce. And if they think they might want to do something like that, then I'm going to make them think twice about it because they're going to say, why would I bring a child into this world to be a slave under this Egyptian ruler? I'm going to stop the children of God with this great plan to make them slaves. And they won't be able to organize and gather against us because I'm going to watch them with my taskmasters day and night. And here we see that the children of God go from threats to the world to being persecuted by the world. Just like that. That's not different, church. Remember, Abel was killed. Joseph was imprisoned. Paul was imprisoned and stoned and left for dead. Peter was put in prison. John was exiled to Patmos as a slave laborer. Jesus was betrayed and crucified. And perhaps Jesus said it best when he said... Don't be shocked when the world hates you. They hated me. If you're my children, you're no greater than your master. The world hates me. It's going to hate you if you call yourself by my name. The persecution is to be expected, not shocking. Persecution is to be normal, not abnormal. First Peter 4.12 says, Don't think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as if something strange has happened to you. Peter said, don't be shocked by persecution. Don't think that this trial should catch you off guard, that you should say, oh my goodness, where did this come from? The children of God will threaten the world. And because we challenge the world with what they want to do and how they want to live, they will do what they can to silence us and persecute us and hold us down. And why does the world want to silence the Christians? Why in the world does the world want to persecute us? Because obedience to Christ and the proclamation of the gospel shines light on the things that the world prefers to hide. Not just the world, though. We do that in the church, too, don't we? I'd prefer to hide the things that I don't really want Brother Jason to know about. I prefer to cover up the things I don't want my Sunday school teacher to know about. And if I can cover them up, I can feel okay about them. I can feel okay about me. Well, what happens when the Word of God is proclaimed? Sharper than any two-edged sword, isn't it? It lays you open to the bone, friends, and where there's light, there can be no darkness. And suddenly that sin you thought you had covered up in your back pocket, the the hole in your pocket opens up and that sin falls out. And God says, you've got to deal with this you can either repent and turn from it or you can carry it and not know me. But you can't have it both ways. That threatens the world. The world doesn't want their sin to be amplified. They want to say we can do what we want to, when we want to, how we want to, and if you say anything else, we're going to silence you and hate you. So we threaten the world, and we shouldn't count it strange when we endure persecution. Yet what happens, church, when the rain falls? And the persecution continues. What's the first thing that we do? You want to flood the altar of God? Let something bad happen to the people of God? But the problem is, most of the time when we get here, we ask the wrong question. We say, why God, why? Why God is this happening? Why are we enduring this, God? Why would you take away this pain that I feel? God, would you take away this storm that I'm in? When instead we should come and say, God, would you be glorified through this storm that I'm in? God, would you make me like the Apostle Paul, able to look at everything that I'm enduring and say that I count it all joy when I suffer? Because that means that I must be following Christ. And I couldn't suffer as much as He suffered. Church, I'm just going to say this, and it may hurt somebody's feelings, and that's okay. One day, we're going to go to heaven. And we're going to pass by Brother Stephen sitting on the corner. And he's going to say, boy, it was tough to live for Christ, wasn't it? And we're going to say, oh, yeah, man. And we're going to start belly aching, and he's going to say, I know. Them stones, they hurt for a few minutes and the glory of God descended upon me like a dove and I couldn't feel the pain anymore as I ascended into heaven and, and there I was with Jesus worshiping my Savior and I couldn't feel the stones anymore I don't, would you, do you know what happened to my earthly body? I didn't see it because I got a glorified body what, what happened to you? and we're going to say oh Stephen it was awful listen one time at work I, I put a Bible verse on the, the bulletin board in the copy room and people started calling me a Jesus freak. And Stephen's going to go, well, did they stone you after that? And we're going to go, no, no, that was kind of it. They, they started making fun of me about my faith so I took the scripture down and I didn't do anything else to, to upset the apple carts. And then Paul's going to hear the story, he's going to come by and he's going to say, it was tough, Stephen, I was shipwrecked so many times, I don't even remember how many, every time I got in a boat that thing sunk. But God would wash me up on some shore and I'd just start preaching. And they started throwing rocks at me. They thought I was dead, but I wasn't dead yet. God still had more for me. And everywhere I went, I'd stand up to preach the the name of Jesus uh, with the Jews and with the Gentiles. Everywhere I went, people ran me out of town. They wanted me dead. And we're going to have to look at them and go, man, yeah, it was... It was tough, man, every time we stood up to preach, the atheist and the LGBTDT community said we need to be quiet. What would they do when they told you to be quiet? Well, that was kind of it. They just shouted real loud and held signs up, so we got quiet. But, boy, we went back to church where everybody in there agreed with us, and we felt better about it then. John's going to say the government. Boy, that government, that was hard. They boiled me in oil, they gave me a vial of poison, and they exiled me to an island called Patmos to work out my days as a slave labor. But bless God, when I was there, I got a revelation of what it was going to look like in the end. And we're going to say, yeah, the government was tough. They, they, they told us gay people could get married and that we couldn't pray in school. He's going to say, did you pray anyway? And we're going to say, oh, no. No, we got quiet because they said so. And folks, the biblical martyrs for Christ are going to look at us and say, boy, we've got some sissy recruits coming in. <laughs> these, guys, these guys think they had it bad. Nothing happened to them. We've gotten more concerned with whether or not the world likes us than we have with whether or not the world's holy. We've gotten more concerned with whether or not we can draw a crowd by standing on our head and telling everybody it's okay than we have by standing behind a box and saying it's not okay. We've gotten more concerned by trying to fit in with people and make them love us than we have by trying to stand up and say God loves you. We've gotten more concerned with going to the world and saying, Hey, it's okay. Come over here. We're happy at church than we have by saying, Hey, it's not okay, but come to church and let me introduce you to a Savior that will meet you where you are and make you more than you ever thought you could be. But instead, we want them to like us. Friends, I got news for you. I would rather be a lonely old man who told one person the truth and they found Jesus and be the pastor of a two-million-member church where I stood, smiled, and said everything's okay every week. Well, Brother Jason, those were biblical people. Of course they stood for the proper cause, Brother Jason. They were in the Bible. We're just regular old people. Why don't you take a trip with me around the world and sit with our missionaries and Christians in other parts of the country, in other parts of the world, not the country, in other parts of the world who on this very Sunday gathered knowing that at any moment somebody could come in, arrest them, imprison them, or kill them. But they chose to worship anyway. And the worst thing we had to do was decide whether we were going to bring our umbrella in or not. And yet we want to shout about our persecution. Folks, we've gotten pretty thin-skinned. We've gotten pretty spoiled in America. Well, the government, the government isn't Christian anymore, Brother Jason. Well, guess what? Historically and biblically speaking, the government was very rarely Christian. It was not a very long period of time in history where the government of any great country has remained God-honoring and Christian. Did you know that Jesus never intended for His gospel to be spread by the government? Nowhere in the Bible does He say that we're going to sign enough petitions to get everybody saved. He said, I'm going to take the people who call me by my name, And I'm going to spread my gospel with them. They won't be put up, they won't be shut up, and they won't be stood up. They're going to be proud, and they're going to be loud, and they're going to tell the truth. And that is how I'll spread my gospel. Folks, the Apostle Paul considered it joy to get arrested because he knew there was going to be a jailer that got saved. Think about that. It says that in the book of Acts, that he got arrested and he considered it joy because he knew that was the only way he was going to get to those movers and shakers in the Roman government is to get arrested and put up next to them. And he said, they, they might have me in shackles, but 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, this dude's going to see Jesus. If he sees it long enough, he's going to catch a dose and get saved. God's people will threaten the world. God's people will be persecuted by the world, but bless God for verse 12. God will always overcome the world. Verse 12 says a whole lot in a few words. It says, The more they afflicted them, the more they grew. The more the Egyptians afflicted the Israelites, the more God blessed them, the more they multiplied, and the more they grew. The world will silence, the world will persecute, but the world will never overcome a mighty God. He is faithful, He is just, and He will always deliver us through whatever persecution befalls us. Paul said it this way, he said, we were in a situation that was so great, we were pressed in in such a way that we knew we were going to die. As Paul tells his story, he says, we were going to die, and there was nothing we could do to stop it. But then he says, I'm here preaching to you today, which tells me that God came in and delivered me. Paul said, I knew there wasn't any way I was going to make it. We'd already given up. We said, listen, this is it. This is how it ends. But God came in and delivered us. Joseph said it this way. After being sold into slavery by his brothers, accused of rape by someone that he never tried to rape, imprisoned for a period of time told he was going to be set free, forgotten, and imprisoned for two more years. He makes his way up, his brothers come back in, and can you imagine how the flesh would want to punish those brothers when they came walking up? But what did he say instead? What you meant for me harm, my God meant for good. I am here to deliver the children of Israel, and now I know why I endured persecution my whole life. Now I know why it happened. It's because the, the children of God were to be glorified here in this time and brought into this land. Brother Jason, I just don't think there's any end in sight. My friends, it's going to be 400 years before God is glorified in this story. 400 years. How many of you have endured for 400 years. How many of us endure for four months and think it's awful? We think after four minutes we ought to pray and it'll go away. God didn't say I'm going to deliver you in your time. I'm not going to deliver you when it feels right to you. I'm going to deliver you in my time. And what I'm going to depend on you to do is while you're in that storm you're going to glorify me anyway. In fact, the fact that you're faithful to me and obedient to me Is going to glorify me even more to this lost and dying world. These very Israelites that we're talking about now, they're going to be delivered. Do you remember what God said, though, when he sent Moses? He said, I have heard the pleas of my children. Excuse me. The Holy Ghost got me too. I have heard the pleas of my children. So, what are we going to do in the persecution? We're going to realize that God's right on time. He's not late, He's not early. And we're going to pray. But we're not going to pray just that the persecution would be removed from us. We're going to pray that God would be glorified as we endure the persecution with Him. And we're going to remember that God is still God in the persecution. So how do we respond to this this morning? Is anybody suffering? Anybody enduring? Anybody going through a season of angst? Come lay that at the feet of Jesus. Come pray this morning that God would strengthen you and that God would be glorified in your trial. And maybe there's somebody here He said, I don't know what you're talking about, to leave it with God. I don't don't know what that means to lay it down at his feet and and, and be embraced in the arms of Christ. Would you come this morning and be saved? Would you come this morning and, and be touched by Jesus and rise up and never be the same again? Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. And God, if we're being honest, if we're being honest, there's not a person in your house this morning who wouldn't have to stand and say, I'm shackled by a heavy burden of some kind, Brother Chase. I I don't know how this is going to play out in my life. I don't know the outcome of this situation. I don't know... Why I'm dealing with it? I don't know what's going on. God, would you touch that child? Give them the courage to come to your altar and say, "God, I want you to be glorified in this persecution." God, for your children here today who say, "I, I, don't, I don't, I haven't endured any persecution. The world hasn't persecuted me in a while." God, would you, would you stir up in us a desire to serve you in such a way that we would threaten the world? Because when we're obedient to you, it always threatens the world. God, if there's someone here this morning who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, who's never cried out, God, please save me, would you touch them now? And do what only you can do and and save them, Lord God. God, we love you. We praise you and we thank you. And it's in your sweet name that we pray.